All right, praise God. We'll turn to our master text this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just give you some uh, preliminary thoughts. Uh, three weeks ago, I began a new series uh, that I had to take a hiatus on. Um, I was not able to be here the following week to do this part two that I'm doing today because, as most of you know, I think, I had a very close friend of mine pass away very suddenly, so I was traveling two weekends ago for his funeral, so I wasn't able to come back and do the part two that I began uh, of that series. And then last week, of course, we had Fred Aguilar here as a guest speaker. So three weeks after the fact, um, here we are at part two of the series that we began uh, several weeks ago called Preparing for Christ's Return. And I will backpedal a little, by the way, after we read our master text and do a brief review to get us caught back up. But let's go ahead and read our master text. This is kind of a long one this morning. Uh, Verses 35, is that right? Yeah, 35 through 48. So let's go ahead and stand and honor the reading of the word. All of us here, our youth is renewed like the eagles, so you don't mind standing through this long, long reading I'm about to do. Okay, here we go. Uh, The words of Jesus, the Master. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not, let, had not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance in the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time coming. And then he begins to beat the manservants and maidservants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, as you might remember in part one that I did a few weeks ago, our master text was the parable of the ten virgins found in Matthew 25. And that was our springboard for talking about the seven signs of the unprepared. Uh, The the first of which I covered in that first teaching. 
And the key concept of that first teaching and also of this one is this. Half the people who identify themselves as Christ followers are spiritually asleep. They are totally unprepared for his return. That is what the parable of the ten virgins is all about. Likewise, one half of the church is actually a false church. Now, that's a pretty heavy statement. How do I justify that? Well, again, the parable of the ten virgins, that's the exact message. Jesus also told another parable about the wheat and the chaff, and that there will be a dividing at some point between the chaff from the wheat. So that is the springboard, the concept, the foundational concept upon which we built last week's teaching and the one upon which we build this one. So last week then, in that first teaching, the, we talked about this first concept. The first sign of those who are unprepared for Christ's return is that they are totally wrapped up in their own affairs with very little thought of kingdom advancement. And I referenced in that teaching, 2 Timothy 2.4, which says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that it's wrong to go to movies or entertain oneself from time to time, like you see the people on the screen they're doing. I'm not so saying that it's wrong to do that, as long as you make wholesome choices. So please do that. There's a lot of trash out there that you can entertain yourself with. I encourage you to make wholesome choices. So I'm not discouraging entertaining yourself from time to time, as long as it's not way out of balance. But when one's focus is on the absolute worship of self, in other words, everything that you do revolves around you and yours. It's all about your job, your entertainment, your hobbies, your kids' sports, etc. And very little time is spent on spiritual development and building up the kingdom and advancing God's kingdom. Well, that is a big problem. But we're not going to elaborate on that point today. Again, that was just a little refresher on what we talked about the last time. Uh, now we're going to go on to talk about the second sign of the unprepared, and that's friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. Now, let me say before I get into this too deeply here that this teaching is really all about minor course adjustments for this particular congregation, I think. You know, for the most part, I think that we as a group, we really have a group of people that want to please God and walk closely with the Lord, and I'm very thankful for that. But you know how human nature works, right? Um, so it's like driving a car. You know, you're cruising down the highway, making these little minor course corrections with your steering wheel so that you don't go off course and run off the road, right? So it's a lot easier to make those little course corrections along the way rather than falling asleep behind the wheel and then having to jerk the car, jerk the wheel back onto the highway after you've ran off into the shoulder, am I right? Yeah, Or worse yet, it's much easier to make those little course corrections than running off the road into a ditch and getting stuck or injured in the process. And, you know, my late mother-in-law, Wilma, when she was still alive, she did exactly that one night. She fell asleep at the wheel coming home from a, a late night of work and broke her foot in the minor crash that happened. And, you know, that foot bothered her 
for the rest of her life. And if we run off the road spiritually, folks, sometimes it can leave damage that can affect your life for years or even a lifetime. It's so much better to make these little course corrections along the way. So as I get into this, know that if I get somewhat forceful in some sections here, it's not because I'm mad at you or I think that you're all in gross sin or something like that. Nothing like that. This is just a little course correction, that's all. We need to hear some preaching like what I'm going to be doing this morning from time to time. Just a little course correction along the way. So, again, for most of you, I think this is just going to be a little course correction. But, I don't know, for some of you, it could be a big course correction. And if that's the case, well, so be it. We need those too. So, again, our second concept of a sign that you're unprepared for Christ's return is friendship with the world. I'm going to reference here uh, James 4.4, which says this, You adulteresses. Now, by the way... You adulteresses in the feminine is actually the proper way to interpret that verse into the English. It is in the feminine in the Greek. And why is that? Because we are the bride of Christ. So if you read you adulterers in some translations, that's not actually the right translation. The correct translation is the feminine. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God. Now, I want to break a couple of those words down here for you. And you see in that image there, by the way, what that kind of adulterous situation looks like. You know, you're cuddling up to your one love, but, you know, behind his back, you're holding hands with somebody else. I mean, that's unacceptable, right? Unacceptable. So let me break down a couple of those words for you in the ancient languages. That word friendship is the Greek word philia, and it means affection, fondness, love, and friendship. It means you are drawn to and have a relationship with that thing or that person. So that's that, the word friendship. The word hostility in the Greek, it is the word ekthara, ekthara, and it means Enmity, hostility, alienation, hatred. Hatred. So let's read that verse again with those two words in mind now that we understand those a little better. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, philia, affection, fondness, love, friendship, with the world is hostility, enmity, hostility, alienation, hatred toward God. Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God. Now, that's a pretty sobering truth, isn't it? You know what I want to say to some people in the church? Not this one necessarily, but people at large in churches. You know what I want to say? Choose a side for Pete's sake. Choose a side. I like what the prophet Elijah said at Mount Carmel to the people. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, okay, go ahead, follow him. And I might say it this way to the modern crowd. 
Uh, I would say, look, if you're so in love with the world, then go serve the world and get off the fence. But if God is God and you want to please him, then once again, get off the fence and serve him with your whole heart. Stop trying to be married to God. Stop trying to be married to God while you're having a fling with the world on the side. That doesn't work. It's never worked. It's never worked. It will lead to all kinds of damage and eventually, possibly, to your spiritual shipwreck. Folks, God is like any earthly husband. He hates it when people's hearts are set on an adulterous lover while living in his house. Come on. You know, Donna and I watched a movie the other day about those uh, Chilean miners who got trapped in a mine for 69 days back in 2010. It was the true story of, of that account. And the way the, the movie portrayed it, there was one of those miners that had previously been having an affair on his wife. Now, you know how Hollywood takes all these artistic licenses um, so I don't know if this actually happened, but that's the way the movie portrayed it, that this, uh, one of these miners had, uh, was having an adulterous affair on his wife, and his wife knew about it, and he just kept doing it, and she kept fighting for her marriage and kept taking him back again. Well, I can tell you this one thing about my wife, Donna. If she ever caught me having an affair, I wouldn't even have to worry about a second chance because I'd be dead. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, of course. I don't know if she would actually murder me, but, but uh, my point is that God is like any spouse. He's a jealous God for your affections. Okay? Listen, have you read the book of Ezekiel lately? Okay, God called out the Israelite people for their adultery and literally called them whores. Yep. <clears throat> That's how God feels about his people flirting with the world. Now, I know you didn't come to church today to hear a word like that. But I am quoting the Bible, right? And it's still okay to quote the Bible in church? Okay. Um, you know, I know some people that come to church just to feel warm fuzzies and all that. But folks, how many of Jesus' messages gave people the warm fuzzies? Um, very few of them, actually. <laughs> he said stuff like this, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. I don't think that made people feel warm and fuzzy. He said those things out of great love for them, of course, that they would come to repentance and be saved. But he didn't mince words. He didn't beat around the bush, did he? Those kinds of messages made people examine themselves. And that's what we have to do from time to time. So don't be offended that I'm describing just how much God hates spiritual adultery. Because the lack of this kind of preaching is exactly part of the reason why this country is in the shape that it's in today. Because the church has not taught repentance from dead works. The church has become so infiltrated by the world that you can hardly tell the difference now but these days between people who claim to be Christians and people who don't. 
So I say again, choose a side. Choose this day who you will serve. And if God is God, then serve him and him alone and get off the fence. Hallelujah. Now, on that note, when you are truly separated under God, certain things should, and I want you to help me with this. I want you to help me what you think goes in that blank right there. And my image on the screen should help you. Those are two magnets there. Uh, so that should help you and give you a hint of, of what we should put in that blank there. And that blank is in your notes as well, so you can fill that in. When you're truly separated unto God, help me out, certain things should... Perfect. Good job, guys. Repel you. That is exactly right. Give yourself a pat on the back or a star for the day. Very well done. See, if you're in Christ, you and the world don't attract each other anymore. It's like those two magnets with their north poles facing each other that you see on the screen there. They can't possibly stick together no matter how hard you try. See, when they get close, they actually repel each other, don't they? You can't possibly get them to stick no matter how strong you are. And you can tell when someone gets set ablaze by the love of God, folks, because those people are repelled by the things of this world. It's like Abraham's nephew Lot when he was living inside the city of Sodom. And here's what the scriptures say about him. 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, Lot, a righteous man, distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. See, listen, when you can feel comfortable around all kinds of sin, you should be very concerned about your spiritual condition. When you can sit in front of the TV and take in the world's philosophies and not flinch, there's something terribly wrong. When you can entertain yourself with the sewage of the world's music and like it, you've got a big problem. Now, let me give you a little analogy to drive this point home. So do you remember in Genesis chapter 8 when the Bible talks about the ark was adrift on the waters that covered the earth and Noah and all that were occupying the ark had been adrift for about a year as they were waiting for the waters to abate for them to find a place to land on, on ground. Well, you remember in Genesis chapter 8, perhaps, that Noah sent out a raven to see if the raven could bring back any signs that the water had abated and land was now exposed. And the raven never came back. The scriptures record that the raven flew to and fro, back and forth over the face of the waters, and never returned. So Noah waited for a little while, and then the second time he sent out a dove. And the dove flew out over the face of the waters for a while and then shortly thereafter returned because it could find no place to set her feet. Well, it begs the question, what's the raven been doing this whole time? If the dove couldn't find a place to set her feet, what's that raven been doing? 
Well, I think the answer is very obvious. The dove is much more selective about what she puts her little delicate feet down on compared to that nasty raven. See, a raven is a scavenger bird. Here's what I know happened. It set itself down on some bloated, decaying carcass in the water, set itself down there and started picking away at the flesh and found a place to rest and eat. That's why it never came back. But a dove is much more selective than that. It's not going to set its foot down on just some, any old dead, decaying carcass or some piece of filthy debris. And so it came back. Now, what is a dove a comparison to in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's not going to set himself down uh, among a people that have no regard for him, no regard for holiness, full of, and even in churches, even in churches, you know, so many people are praying for revival, either personal revival or revival in their churches, but they're not willing to give up their filth. And the Holy Spirit just says, when you're ready, I'll come, but not until you're ready. You know, as an example of this, Prior to me coming to the Lord, um, there were certain words that used to spew out of my mouth that hurt me now when I hear them uttered. I've come to hate those words because I don't identify with those things anymore. As a matter of fact, I tried to watch a, a different movie the other day, I tried to watch a movie that I thought I was really going to enjoy. And man, there was so much profanity in it, I, I had to turn it off. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through the first 15 minutes. I had to, I'm like, okay, that's, that's it. And, but there are some people, maybe some of you here, who would sit through that F-bomb after F-bomb and GD and all that and, and say, ah, it's just, you know, that's just the way people talk, no big deal. I don't know about you, I, it hurts me when I hear somebody take the name of the Lord my God in vain. It hurts me when I hear people use some of that filthy language because... God's changed my character. I'm different now. I remember when uh, a couple years after I came to the Lord and, and the Lord was in the process of really transforming my character, I was channel flipping one day and I came across a sitcom that I used to love in the days before I was serving the Lord. It's a sitcom called Cheers. And I thought, oh, I used to love Cheers. Awesome. I'll, I'll watch a few you know, minutes of Cheers. And I started watching that thing. I'm like... Um, I can't watch this show. How did I ever watch this show? I will not watch this show. Because it's just, just the worldliness in it. And you're just the, you know what I'm talking about, saints, right? There's certain music that I used to listen to that when I hear some of those same songs now, I go, how did I ever listen to that stuff? I remember feeling so at home with the whole party scene and, and drinking and drunkenness and all that. And now whenever I'm in those kind of atmospheres because of a company party or something, um, I feel so out of place in those atmospheres. And I've actually become known in my company as snooty. <laughs> because if I have to be in one of those situations, I always excuse myself very early. And if I don't have to be in those situations, if I'm not required to be at a certain place, I don't go at all. That's just not who I am anymore. And that stuff bothers me now. In fact, it doesn't just bother me, it grieves me, folks. And when I look around at what our society has become, it torments me, much like how Lot probably felt when he was living in Sodom. 
It grieves me that so few people have any sense of propriety or modesty anymore, male or female. It grieves me that people even in the church are so attracted to sounding like the world and looking like the world with some of the things they put on their bodies and the way they choose to talk. Folks, the time for gray areas has come to an end. Perilous times require that you step up and get serious about your faith. The time for gray areas has come to an end. People who consider themselves children of God are going to have to stop flirting with the world and get serious about holiness and the things of God. Because just like we saw in the parable of the ten virgins, your eternity is at stake. And if the fence sitters were really honest, folks, they would have to admit that flirting with the world really hasn't gained them anything over the long haul. But it's cost them dearly. You know, 1 Timothy 4.8 is a scripture that I quote a lot. And uh, it says this, um, godliness has value for all things. Now let me back up. It says... Um, exercise, physical exercise, profits a little, but godliness has value for all things, not only in this life, but also the life to come. So then the opposite would also be true, wouldn't it? Ungodliness is going to cost you dearly, both in this life and also the life to come. I want to read to you a reference along those lines, 1 Corinthians 6.20, which says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought off, listen, before I read that last line, you were bought off the slave market. You were a slave to sin, a slave to Satan, and Jesus redeemed you and bought you off the slave block. Praise God. So you are not your own anymore. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that word honor there is sometimes translated into uh, the word glorify in some translations. And it means to esteem and honor in a wide application. To esteem and honor in a wide application. That means in everything that you do, you think about how to esteem God and bring honor with how you use the parts of your body and present yourself to the rest of the world. So then, when you came to Christ, this is a key concept for this morning, when you came to Christ, you gave up ownership of your body. You gave up ownership of your body. You know, I, I realize, since I mentioned, made a passing comment about modesty, I realize that the standards of modesty and maybe the Amish community, as an example, are taken to an unreasonable extreme. Um, but honestly, I'd rather see that than the low standards that I see in churches, in Protestant churches these days. Sometimes I want to say to people, um, what part of honor God with your body did you not understand? Okay. Now, you know me. I'm not a legalist. I'm a preacher of grace. 
But part of experiencing the grace of God, folks, is to render honor to him for the grace that he's extended. Isn't that right? See, if you've truly experienced the grace of God, it should change your outlook on life. It should change the way you think, change the way you talk, change the way you adorn yourself. Look, if you're not your own anymore, you don't even have rights over your own body anymore. I say that again. If you belong to Christ, you don't even have rights over your own body anymore. You belong to him. You belong to your new master, Jesus, and pleasing him should dictate every decision that you make. Every decision that you make. Folks, listen to me. Why should it matter to you or me? As slaves of God, why should it matter to you what other people think about you? Why should it matter to you, listen, why should it matter to you how cool you are? Why should it matter to you how sexy you are? Or how dignified you are? Or how intelligent you are? Who are you trying to impress anyway? Are you on God's side or the devil's side? See, it's the, the character of Satan to be motivated by the pride of life. But it's the character of Jesus to lay aside that pride and simply serve. Are you with me this morning so far? Okay. So on that note, I was reading in the book of Proverbs this week. I spend a lot of time in Proverbs, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I came across a verse that I've read, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. This time, though, it just really struck me different. It just it, The revelation just came to me when I read this verse this time. And it's Proverbs 20, verse 5, that says, listen, the intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. I'm going to quote that again. Uh, uh, the intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Well, what's that mean? It means, listen, it means your own intentions and motives are not even always obvious to you. Your own intentions and your own motives are not even always obvious to you. But a man of understanding will examine his own heart and check his deeper motives. All right? So, check your heart and your motives. What's motivating you? To do what you do. What's motivating you to put on that outfit or to drop that name in a conversation or to go to that particular place with that particular group of people? What's your motive? What is it really? And I would even ask, what's your motive in some of the ministry things that we do sometimes? You know, I see ministry methods tainted with self-exaltation sometimes. I'm going to say that again. I see ministry methods tainted with self-exaltation. I was speaking with Fred Aguilar, who was here last week, and I was having lunch with him. And, and I had been to a, a conference recently, and I was just telling him about some of the things that I see in certain ministry settings that 
are offensive to me. And I come away feeling really troubled by what I see. And I was being a little bit hard on myself. Sometimes I come away from those settings and I go, man, you know, maybe I just need to be more open-minded. Maybe I'm too critical. Maybe I'm too judgmental. Maybe I just need to lighten up a little bit. And he said something that really ministered to me. How many of you know one phrase sometimes can speak volumes to you? He said something to me that, that so ministered to me. And he said, well, you know, Andy, sometimes when we're offended, it's not actually us that's offended, but it's the spirit of God within us who's offended. And you're feeling the offense. So check your motives for why you do what you do because we can even be doing something in ministry and it being tainted with self-serving motives. So we have to draw out the deep waters of our hearts and figure out why is it that we do what we do. All right, coming down home stretch here. We need to be taking our spiritual temperature, folks, if we're to prepare properly for Christ's return. See, when we try to assume control of something God owns, it cools the spiritual fires within. I'm talking about our bodies. When we try to assume control or ownership of something God owns, it cools the spiritual fires within and your spiritual temperature goes down. And Here's why we need to hear a message like this from time to time, even though I don't think that we're a church that has a bunch of gross sin going on, at least not that I know of. I think that, again, as I said earlier, we're a church that, for the most part, I really believe that most of us really want to please God and walk with the Lord. Um, but here's why we still need to hear a message like this from time to time, because we don't even realize it so often when we've been overtaken by spiritual drowsiness. And then we start getting pulled off course one little degree at a time. It goes unnoticed until one day you're so far from God, you had no idea how you got here. That's how it happens, very subtly. You don't even realize it so often when you're being overtaken by spiritual drowsiness. We don't even realize it when lukewarmness has crept up on us and the spiritual fires have begun to die down. I'm going to reference here Jesus in Revelation 3.15 where he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's Jesus speaking. Oh, but, but Jesus accepts me just how I am. J Folks, yeah, Jesus loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to allow you to stay just like you are. That's why he gives us warnings like this. Wake up. Shake yourself. Okay? See, this means that this verse right here in Revelation 3.15, folks, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because of your lukewarmness. That means God is not going to tolerate our spiritual adultery. He's coming back for a bride that, that has our lamps trimmed and burning brightly. Not the spiritually drowsy who are entertaining the things of this world while still claiming to be a part of his kingdom. But 
If you've been stirred up today, it's not too late to wake up and trim your lamp. Okay? Praise God, the the call is ringing out today. Arise, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Hallelujah. So, the message that I want to get across to you, I think, hopefully, it's already becoming clear, is to keep your lamps burning. I'm going to reference a short section of our master text here before we close it down. Luke 12, verses 35 and 37 says this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds on watch when he returns. That means keep your spiritual fires stoked. Don't let yourself get lukewarm. Keep yourself stirred up in the word of God and in worship and in what you're doing this morning, come and hearing uh, preaching from the word of God. Keep yourself fed and stirred up, okay? Don't let yourself get lukewarm. Live like Jesus is coming back today because you never know, he might be. And when you live like that, You'll never be taken off guard by his return or your own death. Now, as I said before, my friend whose funeral I attended this past week had no idea that his time was about to be up. But praise God, he was living a godly life, so he was ready. So he's in heaven with the Lord today. I praise God for that. You see, see, my friend was healthy and strong, and there was no signs that anything was wrong. He was here one day, and then, in a flash, he was gone. Yes, death can sneak up on any one of us very suddenly. And how foolish of us to live as though we have plenty of time to get things right with God. Get right now. I mean, what in the world would you be waiting on anyway? Oh, I've got to get drunk one last time before I really give myself holy to God. Oh, I've got to have one more immoral fling before I really give myself holy to God. What holds people back from selling out to him? I see even church people who attend maybe semi-regularly who hold back from really selling out to God as if God is going to smack them upside the head and smite them or something if they really begin to live in a righteous way. I mean, what kind of God do you think he is anyway? He beckons you to come and have a more intimate relationship with him and then when you do, he knocks you upside the head? It's not the way it works. God's not an ogre, folks. He loves you. Now, I do realize, by the way, I want to insert this. I do realize that when you really begin to sell out to serving God, there will be some people among your friends and family who won't like it. And sometimes there will be fallout. And that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to bring bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Because in a family... Three will be against me and two will be for me. And in another family, two will be against me and three will be for me. And so there will be a division. That's why Jesus also said, count the cost. Count the cost. Okay? 
So I'm not saying that everything's going to be rosy. There's, there's a price to pay sometimes. But there's also blessings when you walk with the Lord. Blessings. Mmm. Mmm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he is. And he is. He loves you. And he's willing to lavish his love on those whose hearts are truly sold out to him. So let me close with this scripture right here. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Now, with a teaching like this, it might be customary to do an altar call of some sort or some sort of call to respond. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to ask you to maul this over yourself, you, just, you and the Lord. So I'm going to ask you, um, just right where you're seated, to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you about some course corrections that you need to make in your life. And maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just a minor course correction, but it's one that the Holy Spirit really wants you to pay attention to because it could lead you running off the road later if you don't make the course correction now. For some of you, this may have been a major course correction this morning. Maybe you're already on the shoulder of the road and off the highway and the Holy Spirit's trying to get you back on course here. I don't know. What category do you fall in? I'm going to ask you to have just a moment of silence. You know, again, I'm not going to embarrass anybody or do an altar call or anything like that. So just relax. I'm just going to ask you to have a minute with you and the Holy Spirit. And ask Him, Holy Spirit, what adjustments do I need to make in my life right now to get back on the straight and narrow and to keep myself from veering off course onto the shoulder of the road. And if you ask him that question and just be still for a moment, I believe he will show you something. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.